Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the kingdoms of this world, when they seek to expand their territory, they expand through uh, warfare and violence. Throughout history, uh, power-hungry leaders uh, with dreams of building empires have raised up huge armies, they've invaded neighboring countries, and sought to expand their territory by by acts of sheer power. The amount of devastation it causes is astounding, even if they attain their goals. We've had an awful example of this recently with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, The tanks rolled in, the the artillery began to fire, the jets uh, began their airstrikes. Video footage and pictures from the war show so much devastation. Looking at those scenes rightly causes sadness. You feel uh, for those people of Ukraine. Your heart goes out to the people who have lost uh, so much. Yet, in another sense, seeing those things, the uh, aggressive violence of those nations, can also have a beneficial effect. I don't mean there's anything good in what they're doing in itself, But we can rejoice because it contrasts so strongly with the kingdom of God. We can rejoice that we belong to that kingdom, the kingdom of God. We belong to the kingdom of heaven through the work of Jesus Christ. And this kingdom advances in this world in a completely different way, in a much more beautiful way. Yes, this kingdom has weapons, it has the sword of the Spirit, by which Christ strikes down the nations, but God's kingdom also expands in the world uh, through acts of loving service, also on the part of the citizens of the kingdom. And how wonderful that is, how much better than the violence of war, the devastation of war. In our text This morning shows us something of this. The Syrian army advanced into Israel. They tried to make war against Israel. Elisha thwarted them. And then they attempted to seize Elisha himself, God's prophet. But though they came with evil intentions, they were met with an act of love, with an act of service on the part of Israel. God used this for the good of his people and his kingdom. So that brings us to the sermon theme, the Lord defeats his blind enemies through an act of loving service. We're going to look at three main things in connection with that theme. First of all, we'll we'll look at the blind enemies, Uh, then we'll look at the seeing people, and finally we will look at the act of loving servants. Now, at this point in Israel's history, the nation of Syria acted as a constant thorn in Israel's side. A full-on war occurred many times. You could think of the days of Ahab. And just last chapter, we read how Syrian raiding bands entered Israel, carrying off both people and possessions. And that military conflict continues in our text Now, at various points, the king of Syria, he set up camp in Israel to attack on an unsuspecting Israelite army. 
However, despite all his strategizing, the Syrian military campaign went nowhere. And that's because Israel had a secret weapon. No, they did not have machine guns. There were no bazookas. But Israel had a prophet, the prophet Elisha. And so the Syrian king, before he set up his camp, he would tell his commanders where he was going, where he was going to set up his camp to make war. But Elisha, as a prophet of God, knew the exact location even from within Israel. So he warned the king of Israel, make sure you don't go to that place over there. That's where the Syrian army is, and they are ready to attack you. And Elisha could only do this by the power of God, of course, so Israel's secret weapon was not really Elisha himself. Rather, the Lord was helping his people, protecting them. And this was nothing but pure grace on God's part. Uh, Israel was still serving idols. And after benefiting from the word of the Lord here, you would think that all Israel would turn completely to God. Look at how he so wonderfully protected them. And God's word proved to be true on all these occasions. You would think, don't they see that God's word... It's true in all these other matters as well that the Lord is the only God. He's the only God worth serving. Don't they see it's worth following the Lord all the time? And Him is their help and their hope. But they don't see it. And that danger is real for us too, that we pick and choose the parts of God's Word that we listen to. That we keep the things we like and disregard what we don't like. But instead, we must embrace all of God's word and serve the Lord alone. He is our help. He is our hope. Now, Elisha's warning to Israel sent the king of Syria uh, into a tailspin. He thinks there's an insider in his circle of counselors who's informing the king of Israel his plans. He says to them, won't you tell me who's telling the king of Israel our military plan? Someone's got to be doing this from the inside. There's no other way that the king of Israel can keep evading us like this. But one of his servants understands what's really going on. He says, no, my lord, O king. There's no insider, no mole. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your very bedroom, right in the inner room of your house while you are all alone there. The secret has been uncovered. But the real question now is, how will the king of Syria respond to this news? Will he act wisely? Will he see that the Lord is fighting for Israel and back off? Well, to his own hurt, the king of Syria instead 
embraced foolishness. He says, go and see where Elisha is, that I may send and seize him. And at this point, you need to stand back back, and kind of shake your head and ask, what is this man thinking? How foolish and how incredibly blind. He just received proof that Elisha knows all his plans. He's just been told that. And Elisha helped the Israelites' army evade his ambush multiple times now. Does he really think uh, making plans to capture Elisha himself is going to work? So foolish, so blind. But in this, we get a picture of the mind of sinful man, a mind darkened by sin and unbelief. It's like we sang from Psalm 92 about the stupid man and the fool just cannot understand certain things about the Lord and about themselves. Well, just look at the next actions of the king. When he hears Elisha's in Dothan, verse 14 says, He sent there horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and they surrounded the city. See, this, this king, he thinks he can fight against God and win. He thinks his sheer power will be enough to capture the Lord's prophet. Look, we'll even come by night, then no one will see us. He doesn't understand that to the Lord, the darkness is as the light. It doesn't matter. And this, again, is, is the mind of sinful humans at work. The mind of sinful humans treat God like he is a man and treat themselves like they are a god. And that is at the very central center of our sinful hearts, our sinful nature. The sinful heart acts as if God is just a man and humans are God. And this attitude causes sinful humans to try to run roughshod over God, blaspheme his name as if he is nothing, determine right and wrong for ourselves, sin with impunity, trample the weak, use sinful means for selfish gain, all the while thinking there will be no accountability from God. By going out with this strong military force, the king of Assyria is essentially saying, I am king, I can fight against God and his prophet, and I will do it by my power. The sad thing is, this is a script that is played over and over in history. Think especially of what happened to our Lord Jesus Christ. In the final days before his crucifixion, the Jewish religious leaders, they likewise, they made plans to seize the Lord Jesus, God's appointed prophet. And how foolish they were to plot against Jesus Christ. Did they think they were going to somehow catch him by surprise? Uh, Christ already showed multiple times that he knew they were thinking. For example, the time when Jesus uh, forgave the paralytic sins 
Uh, they said in their hearts, who is this person that can forgive, who says he can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And it says Jesus knew what they were thinking. It's like Elisha hears what the king of Syria says. And then he shows that by what he said to them. But they still make their foolish plots against the Lord Jesus. And they also pulled exactly the same move that the king of Syria did. They sent out a group of soldiers under, under the cover of darkness to capture the Lord Jesus. They thought they could overcome him by sheer force. Of course, the Lord Jesus was arrested, but only because he allowed them to. It was part of his mission. But that same foolish uh, script still happens today. The devil, the devil still attacks God's people. People who do not know Christ at times attack and persecute the church. But when they do this, they are making an attack on the Lord Jesus himself. Any attack on God's church is an attack on our ascended Lord. And it's a useless plan. They will never win against the ascended Christ and his church. God will always find a way to beat his enemies. You know, persecution is a terrible thing. We should rightly pray, uh, pray for continued freedom to worship God. At the same time, our text is giving us a certain perspective on attacks against God's people. The Syrian king makes such an obvious blunder that we should feel free to laugh at him. Indeed, that's where our text is, is bringing us. Here he is trying to capture Elisha, the one who knew every detail of his every move. It's the same thing with our Lord Jesus. He is our ascended Lord, our all-seeing, all-knowing King. Nothing catches him off guard. Attacks against him and his church are doomed to fail. The enemies of Christ are blind. That brings us to our second point. So during the night, the Syrian army surrounded the city of Dothan. And Elisha's servant, he woke up in the morning, and then he went out. And there he saw, around the city, all those soldiers, all those chariots. And looking at this great army, he turned to Elisha and he said, Oh no, my master, what are we going to do? Now on the first point, I encouraged, I just encouraged at the end of the first point, uh, laughing at the king of Syria, and rightly so. He made such a silly move. But Elisha's, Elisha's servant uh, sure doesn't laugh. Uh, he's scared. Uh, surely, with this great army here, it, it was game over. Uh, they couldn't, ev they couldn't uh, evade the Syrian army anymore. They were surrounded, caught like rat rats in a trap. Now, his reaction is understandable. Now, we might react in the same way, and I, I fear that maybe we do react in the same way uh, in this life when we see a tenant... Um, enemies rising up against the church. You know, this past week, I listened to the Jordan B. Peterson podcast. Uh, his guest was Rex Murphy. Together, they spoke about Canadian politics and the state of our country 
and the trajectory of our country. And there are certainly things to be concerned about. Perhaps many of us fear the state of the world, the trajectory of our country, and its attitude towards a Christ in Scripture. What does this all mean for the church? Is the world going to swallow us up completely? Perhaps when listening to something like that, we react in the same way as Elisha's servant. Look at this. What are we going to do? Are we somehow doomed? Now, what was this servant's problem that he feared in this way? Well, the problem was that he was not seeing with the eyes of faith. He was fixated on this strong Syrian army and forgot the Lord's power. And so his vision needed to be changed. So Elisha calmly replied, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Before the servant has a chance to even ask what Elisha is talking about, Elisha prays to God, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And this is a theme that runs through this passage, seeing and not seeing. Uh, it, it carries through this, this a passage from 2 Kings 6. The king of Syria already showed how blind he is. He has no face, so he can't see rightly at all. Elisha's servant is not completely blind, but he has a weak faith, and so he can't see properly. So Elisha prays to the Lord, and the Lord heard Elisha's prayer. He opened the servant's eyes, and what did he now see? We saw such an amazing sight all around Elisha. The mountains that were around, uh, around that area of Dothan were full of horses and chariots of fire. And this was an army unlike any other. This was the heavenly army of God. And just think of what Elisha's servant must have thought. You know, he had been impressed by serious horses and chariots. But how awesome to see this angelic army filling the area around them. You know, this has got to be one of the most fascinating scenes in the entire Bible. I would have loved to have been there to witness uh, this army of angels there. And yeah, I'd love to visualize this scene in my mind. Children, think about this army of angels for a moment. You're standing in the city of Dothan. The Syrian army with all of its horses and chariots is it's all around the outer wall. And you're trapped in. But beyond them, you look towards the large hills spread out on the horizon. And all on those hills are huge amounts of horses of fire, fiery chariots, an army of angels sent to protect you, one of God's children. An amazing sight. You know what, congregation, I suspect we often forget about the realm of angels as we go about our daily work. But they are there. And so often our sight is fixated only 
on this physical world, just like Elisha's servant was. But there's this whole other dimension, the spiritual dimension, that we cannot ignore. And yes, Satan and his demons are very active in it, and as a result, active in this world. But so are God's angels, sent out by God himself. And they are sent out by God to fight in this world to help God's people, to protect them. Psalm 68, which we hope to sing from later, describes God's heavenly army of angels like this. The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. What an awesome thought. Right? Angels in this world, maybe here also right now, probably here right now as we worship. And God's angels have a huge impact on this world and the protection of the church. And God may not let us see them as he let Elisha's servant see them, but we have God's promise in his word, and so that is enough for us. As Hebrews 1 verse 14 says, God's angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. And so when physical enemies and God's enemies come against the church to attack it, remember this invisible realm. Remember that God has an invisible army, and he uses that army to preserve his church in this hostile world. Now, with all these horses and chariots of fire, we may expect what's coming is a total demolition of the Syrian army, and that indeed could have happened in a moment. But that is not what we get. While the Syrians do come forward to seize Elisha, Elisha opts to take another route. He prayed to God, he prayed again to God saying, "Please strike this people with blindness." And Yahweh heard his prayer and the Syrian army became blind, struck with a blinding light. And there we see it again, the theme of seeing and not seeing. The Syrians already showed their spiritual blindness by fighting against God and his prophet. They don't see how they nearly destroyed themselves by their sin. Now the Lord gives them over to physical blindness as he strikes them with a blinding light. And this sort of thing happens more often in Scripture where the enemies of God are struck with blindness, both physical and spiritual. In Genesis 19, the men of Sodom are struck with blindness as they approach Lot's house. On the road to Damascus in Acts 9, Saul is struck with blindness by a blinding light. In Romans 1, it describes how unbelievers, they can see, physically see, the power of God in creation, but they suppress that truth in sin. And so they are given over to a darkened mind and understanding. In Isaiah 6, God commissions Isaiah to preach to unbelieving Israel, his mission. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. God gave them over to the blindness of their sin. 
There's an important truth we must see in this. God is the one who gives us eyes to see, to see the truth, to see the truth about God, to see the truth about the Bible, to see the truth about Jesus Christ, the only Savior of the world. And if we ever harden ourselves in sin and unbelief, God can give us over to spiritual blindness. By an act of a just judgment, he can take away what little spiritual vision we have left. So, beloved, what must we do? Pray for eyes to see. Pray that you would see the truth about God, your own sin, and the saving work of Jesus Christ. Pray that you would understand God's salvation you would put your faith in the only Savior. Pray that all spiritual blindness would be removed from your heart. Pray for eyes to see. Love it. It brings us to our last point. After the Lord struck the Syrian army with blindness, Elisha immediately sprung into action, and he, he walked out to meet them. And as calm as could be, he said, this is not the way. And this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And then Elisha led them to Samaria, of all places, the capital city of Israel. And they had to walk quite a ways to get there, too. But there they went, like sheep, following the very man they sought to capture. And to me, this is one of the funniest things in the entire Bible, This powerful army seems to have victory locked up as they surround Elisha. In a moment, they're struck completely helpless. And then in a comical twist, the tables are turned completely. They're led by Elisha, the man they wanted to capture, into the most dangerous spot they could go. And then they're the ones who are surrounded. Kind of reminds us, me of surprising someone with a big birthday gift and you keep the gift in a, another room outside because it's so big. Then you lead that person to the gift, you blindfold them to take, uh, leave the surprise to the end. And they follow you there. Then you remove the blindfold and there's the present. Well, the Syrian army is surprised, all right, but it certainly wasn't their birthday. Elisha prays again, O Yahweh, open the eyes of these men that they may see there they were, right in Samaria, surrounded by enemy soldiers. Again, Scripture is encouraging us to laugh. God's enemies will never win. The king of Israel was delighted. What an opportunity to, to defeat their enemies. He said, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? But look at how Elisha responds. You shall not strike them down. Did you capture them with your own weapons? No, give them food and water so they can eat and drink and go back to their master. And it says, he prepared for them a great feast, a huge, lavish banquet for the Syrian army. This story just keeps getting better. 
know, if the Syrians were shocked to suddenly find themselves in Samaria, this must have knocked their socks off. These were their enemies. And here they are preparing Thanksgiving dinner for them. And this was no small meal, a, a lavish a banquet for their enemies. Imagine what the Syrians must have thought as the Israelite soldiers asked them, uh, would you like some caviar with your steak? Uh, what about the chicken cordon bleu? Have you tried that yet? Uh, never before in the history of the entire world had something like this ever happened. But this is the God of Israel. He's unlike any other God in the world. And this was also the ministry of Elisha. Elisha's ministry was characterized by life, by healing with abundance. If you read through the Elisha stories, all the miracles, you can see how so many of them are about life, about food and drink, about healing. And in this way, Elisha's ministry somewhat contrasts with that of Elijah. Just think of when the king of Israel tried to seize Elijah in 2 Kings 1. While Elijah didn't prepare a feast for him, uh, he called down fire from heaven and consumed the soldiers. But here, Elisha feeds him. And in this way, the ministries of Elijah and Elisha mirror the ministries of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. John the Baptist's ministry was nearly identical to Elijah's. He even wore the same clothes as Elijah. And he called Israel to repent, to turn back to God, the stern call. And he's even called the Elijah who is to come in the Old Testament. But after John the Baptist came the ministry of our Lord Jesus. And his ministry mirrored more of Elisha's ministry. A ministry of life, of healing, of abundance, of food and drink. It was also a ministry of loving service, even to his enemies. Think again of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. The band of soldiers came to seize the Lord Jesus. And he could have stopped them. He could have called down fire from heaven like Elijah. He could have called God to send chariots of fire to demolish his enemies. When Peter cut off a servant of the high priest's ear, he rebuked him, saying, Put your sword away. Don't you understand that at any moment I could call down twelve legions of angels to help me? But like Elisha, Christ did not make use of the angel armies of God to turn his enemies into ash. Instead, like Elisha, he engaged in an act of loving service. First, he healed the servant of the high priest's ear, one of the men who came to seize him. And next, he allowed himself to be captured and led away. Jesus did this because he came to serve, to suffer and die for sinners, his enemies. See, Christ engaged in the most loving act of service there ever was. He died on a cross, suffering the wrath of God for the sake of his enemies, and that includes us. So we, we must understand, we were once enemies of God. Remember the sinful mind I described in point one? It's the same mind we have by nature. 
As Colossians 1 verse 21 puts it, at one time, we were alienated from God. We were enemies of God in our minds because of our evil behavior. But as Romans 5 says, even while we were still God's enemies, Christ died for us. By that death, He paid for our sins. He paid for our stubborn unbelief and our spiritual blindness. He purchased for us a gift of faith that we might see Him as He truly is, the Savior of the world. He overcame our hostility towards God by His death on the cross. Christ overcame our enemies, too, by this act of service. It includes the devil. includes death itself. As those filled with the Spirit of Christ, we now serve as He served us. That includes serving our, even our enemies by loving acts of service. This is what our Lord Jesus taught us. Think of these Israelite soldiers in Samaria. Here they are serving their enemies. But the act of service was worth it. Verse 23 says, that When they returned, they no longer uh, made raids into Israel. And this is the effect of overcoming evil with good. It's a way of the kingdom of God. As Romans 12 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen.